Hey, hey, it's a Friday on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer, and we've got our cast of regulars. I'm Chris Quinn with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. Everybody loves a Friday in July, and I'm sure they're all in good spirits, right? Yeah, last Friday in July. Yeah, that's the sad part. (laughs) (laughs) It's gone too fast. We got a lot to go through. I'm hoping we can get to all of it. We might not. Let's begin. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost won a prominent position in legal circles this week, the lead plaintiff in an unprecedented lawsuit against Facebook. Lisa, is this a case of David versus Goliath? I, I think so. And and just what happens, our AG is named David. A California federal judge, John S. Tiger, chose the Ohio Public Employees Retirement System, or OPERS, as the lead plaintiff in a suit against the Facebook parent company, Meta. And this concerns investments by pension systems in Meta stock, which took a hit after a few scandals. Um, Tiger said Ohio suffered the biggest loss from the drop in Meta stock, and that's why he chose them as the lead plaintiff. And this all came after a Wall Street Journal series of reports showing that researchers at Facebook knew that Instagram was harmful to teenage girls, but still planned to expand it to preteens. And also that uh, CEO Mark Zuckerberg downplayed internal control issues on false and extreme content ending up on their platforms. Yost filed a suit back in November after reading that series, and he was seeking class action status, which will probably happen. Oprah sold Facebook shares um, at a $4.3 million loss back at last October, but they still hold over a half a billion dollars in meta stock. It's their sixth biggest stock holding in the, in the Oprah's pension system. We give Dave Yost a hard time, deservedly so, because of the way he grandstands. But in this case, I think he's doing a great thing. Facebook has done more damage to this country than just about anybody. But he is taking them on because they've done such terrible things. And, he, you know, he's got an interesting case. And the fact that he has risen to the top of the line to tackle it is going to give him a huge pedestal, right? Yeah. But interestingly enough, though, of course, you know, as the attorney general, he is the the lawyer on record for Oprah's, but he's chosen a Los Angeles law firm, Bernstein, Litowitz, Berger, and Grossman to represent Oprah's in this case. Yeah, but you want to win. I mean, he wants to win. He wants to get the money. He wants to teach Facebook a lesson because Facebook has in so many ways been irresponsible. So I'm not surprised he looked around and probably said, who has the best chance? Who's got the history of tackling monster cases like this? And then, and he's also doing this on behalf of everybody else. He's just the lead plaintiff. So it's a, it's a big case for Dave Yost. We'll have to see how it goes. It's today in Ohio. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine is asking for our vote to keep it in office, but he ducked questions on one of the biggest issues of the year in meeting with reporters this week. Layla, what was the question and how many ways did he work to duck it? <laughs> yeah, during a Q&A session with reporters at the Ohio State Fair on Wednesday, DeWine wouldn't directly address questions about whether a future potential law banning abortion in Ohio might include an exception for victims of rape or incest, which which has really been top of mind here in Ohio because we're just grappling with the story of a 10-year-old girl who recently had to seek an abortion in, in Indiana after she had been raped. And that was because just days earlier, DeWine had signed the heartbeat bill into law 
which banned abortions after the point at which a fetal heartbeat can be detected. And that's usually around six weeks. And this girl was six weeks and three days pregnant, according to the stories. And the, the heartbeat law doesn't make any exceptions for victims of rape or incest. And the General Assembly is expected to return to Columbus after the November election and, and pass a law that would make abortion illegal in almost all cases. So reporters wanted to put DeWine on the spot about, about the girl's case and how it would factor into future legislation. But when asked about whether this next bill would allow exceptions for rape and incest, DeWine dodged those questions left and right by talking instead about how the abortion discussion has gone off the rails a little bit since people are talking about the future of contraception and same-sex or interracial marriage in America. And he also skirted two questions from reporters about whether the heartbeat law should be amended and clarified. And he said lawmakers will look at it and he's not ready to weigh in. And he kept kind of falling back on how pro-life he is. And I mean, he just found ways to spin it left and right. So he's, he, uh, he clearly did not want to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, and, and think about the, the weight of that, right? He's, he's saying, hey, I want to lead you for four more years. And he will not tell people how he thinks this law should work, right. this, this important public issue. And look, it's worse than, than what we're saying. We haven't published the story yet. But as a result of this, and I announced this on subtext yesterday, we were going to go out to both candidates for governor, both candidates for Senate and said, hey, you're seeking these offices. This is a big issue for Ohio. What are the specifics, the very specifics of the law? as you should see it. If you're in favor of abortion rights, what's the limit? What, is there a term limit where you would stop it? Or are there exceptions to that? And if you're against it, what are the specific exemptions, if any, you would make? And, you know, I'm giving away a little bit here. All four of them refuse. Mm. It's staggering to me that all four candidates for mm. Senate and governor refuse to answer the question. That's, that is staggering. Yeah. How how does that how how can you how can you avoid that question at this moment at this moment? Well, I, I, we are going to publish this story. Actually, I, it should be up on Cleveland.com. No, shortly. it's not yet. It's, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, but the idea is, I think they keep pointing to talking points. Like we have spokespeople saying that it, we believe that there should be no limits. That's coming from Nan Whaley. But it's like nobody wants to say the word. Wait, wait, but wait. When you say I believe there should be no limits, you're basically saying at nine months I still believe in abortion. Well, she's saying that it should be what Roe versus it was under Roe versus Wade, which is like 23 or 24 but, weeks. But she's but not drawing a specific line. right? Are, but then are there exceptions to that? I mean, what we're saying is the, the law is coming. What would you have it be? If you're going to lead Ohio... What would you have the law be? She was the most specific, but still not specific. I, I just am astounded that that all of them, Tim Ryan, refused to say what they think it should be. Look, Laura, you know, because we did a podcast with a live audience on this. Right. On if you're going to make a law, what is it? And and we heard very clearly that the people who believe in the right to abortion do believe there need to be some sort of limits. And mm -hmm. right. and so here's the chance in, in a really clear way to, to give your vision. And Nan Whaley, Mike DeWine, Tim Ryan, and J.D. Vance, of course, refuse to put their issues online. We'll they're all just afraid of that if they say something specific, that's where they're going to get hit. Because if they say the the wrong thing, they, they want to do more polling before they come up with it? Or do they want to so, say... I don't know. 
so they're all gutless then. They're all now afraid. That's, that's I mean, they want to lead and they're gutless. Why should any of them be chosen? I, look, the, the, I put the note out on subtext. We're going to do this. And everybody said, keep pushing, keep pushing. We will keep pushing. We're going to point out at every juncture that all four of these candidates refuse to take a stand. It's can today I, in Ohio. Can I, can I add one thing that I've realized with the story Cliff Pinkard posted overnight? Layla, is that 10-year-old girl was nine when she was impregnated, oh. which I know that's obviously a very small difference in time-wise since we know she wasn't pregnant for very long. That just makes it even that much worse to mm. me. I don't know. Nine years old. Ugh. Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb made good on a campaign promise Thursday and announced an earth-shaking change for the management of the West Side Market. Laura, what was it? We are going to get a new nonprofit to run this place, which I think is super exciting. Justin Bibb has been promising to make changes. Uh, this was something that um, Mayor Jackson really didn't want to let go of. But I think this will bring a new life to the market. And so this is going to be a process. They have to form this nonprofit yet. That should take about 10 months. And they're going to prepare a master plan addresses the merchant mix, the stall layout, the building infrastructure, program development, and financial modeling. And then the city is still going to own it. The Bibb will Bib administration will work with the partners and uh but yeah we'll have a, a someone that's just dedicated to running the market rather than doing a whole bunch of different things okay so there's all sorts of excitement in your voice and i get it <laughs> i get it that there are companies there are nonprofits in america that are running great markets and the, some of the most successful markets are run by nonprofits. but i do think we have to pause to acknowledge what a failure this is i mean this is a city that runs what a half billion, a billion dollar water department. Mm -hmm. It's a city that serves, you know, 400,000 residents, but it can't run a market. It gets back to what Layla was saying in the past week that Bib wants to create a fund to help women get out of state for abortions. How are they going to run that if they can't run a market? It's just, it's such a I failure. Just don't think it was ever, you know, it wasn't the priority. It wasn't the only thing they did. And they've been running it since 1912. And the fact that it is still in business, I mean, let's give some props to them because a lot of cities had markets at one time. And now you can probably count them, you know, two dozen of them in the country. And that's why we know them because they're famous, right? The Pike Place Market in um, Seattle, for example. But so, I mean, they've kept it going. We got to give them credit for that. But I think they could be so much more. And I don't think they've modernized in the last decade, maybe in a way that they could. So this is going to give fresh ideas, fresh perspective. It's going to give vendors a place to go with their complaints. I think that has been a problem in the past. And there, I mean, there are a lot of cool things. Ohio City is booming. This is a huge tourist attraction, but locals love it too. I think there's a lot of room for improvement. Uh, when I was out in Vancouver earlier this year, I went to the Grand um, Grandis Island uh, market. And it was so cool how many seats there were. And that's one thing I'm like, this is pretty basic. We should have more places to sit in the West Side Market. It also gives the city administration a scapegoat if things don't come yeah. together, because now they can blame the nonprofit for failing. We'll see how it turns out. He's living up to a campaign promise. He said he would do this. And so give him credit for coming through with a thoughtful approach to making that promise real. It's today in Ohio. Earlier in July, we were talking about Northeast Ohio being in a pretty serious drought. Then the rains came. Lisa, where do we stand today? 
Yeah, drought conditions have eased with all these recent rains, and my lawn is slowly turning from brown to green again. Uh, The weekly U.S. Drought Monitor report shows that areas considered abnormally dry, which is the lowest drought level, went from 35.9% statewide on July 5th to 9.1% just yesterday. Northeast Ohio has most of the remaining dry areas, so we're not completely out of this abnormally dry conditions. And that area includes Erie, Ashtabula, Mentor, down to Akron and Canton and Youngstown, and also goes west to just outside of Manfield and includes Worcester, Medina, New Philadelphia, and Chardon. The last greater Cleveland drought we had was in June 2021, and that was at the end of a moderate drought period that began back in March of last year. About 21% of the state was affected by that. The worst drought in Ohio was July to October 2000. Only two days in four months it had more than an inch of rain, and that was in the greater Cleveland, Northeast Ohio area. So things are looking up. I don't remember that. I was here in 2000. I don't remember us having that serious a drought. I'll be curious to see how this affects things like apples. And, you know, if we get the rain now, does it does it restore everything and every all the crops come in. Yeah, because they do say abnormally dry, even though it's the lowest, you know, on the on the register, it still can affect the it can stunt the growth of plants. So yeah, we'll have to see. Okay, it's today in Ohio. The death of Ethan Liming after he filed parrots at people playing basketball outside the LeBron James I Promise School has been controversial. First, people were charged with murder in his death. But a grand jury examining the case sees things differently. Layla, how so? Okay, well, so here's the backstory on this case. On on the night of June 2nd, Ethan Liming, who was a high school senior, and his friends were driving around Akron, and they were firing a gel soft gun. These are, are plastic guns that shoot water-filled beads known as Orbeez that cause minor pain when they strike you. And he and his friends pulled into the school on Westside Market Street near the basketball courts and started firing these water beads at a group of men who were playing basketball. And this fight broke out and Ethan Liming was beaten to death. So the men were later charged in Akron Municipal Court with murder, a charge that carries a potential prison sentence of 15 years to life. But the grand jury filed lesser charges against them. And a spokesman for the Summit County Prosecutor's Office wouldn't comment on what went before the grand jury. But here are the charges that eventually shook out. Deshaun Stafford, who's 20, was charged with involuntary manslaughter, aggravated assault, and misdemeanor assault. Tyler Stafford, who's 19, was charged with involuntary manslaughter and misdemeanor assault. And then Donovan Jones, who's 21, was accused of two counts of misdemeanor assault. The involuntary manslaughter charge, which is the most severe of all of these charges, carries a maximum penalty of five to 11 years in prison. So yes, there was obviously something about the nature of this interaction that caused the grand jury to back off of that murder charge. One of the defense attorneys said that he is going to build a case around self-defense and that these young young men were, were just standing their ground when they were ambushed by Ethan Liming and his friends that night. And mm-hmm. so that seems to be kind of, I'm assuming, what the grand jury um, was, you know, considering when they when they took this up. Yeah, it, this could stretch the definition of stand your ground, which traditionally has been, in the old days, if you could get away from a danger, you had to. And stand your ground says if somebody's making a threat to you, you don't have to run away and, and people can use guns to, to end the threat. 
but this is a pellet gun. So it's not a serious threat. And these guys that were charged didn't have weapons, but they clearly are in a case of self-defense. I mean, you know, Liming pulls up and he's firing at these guys playing basketball and then he gets out of his car. So it's, it's clear he's the provocateur here. It's going to be interesting to watch if this goes to trial or whether prosecutors realizing they got a pretty weak case here offer a very sweet deal. Yeah. I mean, but then there's the question of like, at what point is the threat neutralized? Right. You know? Right. Well, and, and my understanding is they didn't know they were the water pellets, right? The Orbeez gun. And John Tucker wrote about this last week, how, how, um, pervasive this is and then it's it's this isn't the only death that has been linked to norby's gun and then there's also a racial element you know that ethan liming was white and went to firestone and the men are black and i think this is a case that's really roiled up akron the uh the that what you said though layla about at what point is the threat over once he's down on the ground and incapacitated if if the beating continues and then results in his death, that's where you start to get into the criminal charges. Mm -hmm. Interesting case, but it's, but the, the fact that the grand jury did not go with murder is very telling. It's today in Ohio, a lawyer for the family of two Cleveland Heights girls who died when their hammock collapsed says the hammock company was irresponsible in exhorting people to connect their hammocks in unusual ways. What's the case he makes in a lawsuit filed against the maker, Laura? This is such a sad story. I'm sure if people have been reading for a while, they remember the case of these two sisters who died when their hammock was attached to a pile of like a, a brick column in their yard and they uh, it collapsed. And this is not the only time. The lawsuit that's filed in federal court cites 10 incidents since 2009 when hammocks collapsed, caused causing serious severe injuries like paralysis or death. There was a 13-year-old girl in Iowa who died in 2016 that caused a brick structure to collapse. There's a Massachusetts woman who was paralyzed in 2017. And basically the family, the Scavarelli family is basically saying Eagle's Nest Outfitters knew this. And yet their campaign was to tell people to take photos of themselves in hammocks attached non-traditional ways, like on rooftops, brick structures, non-weight bearing walls. And then they would post them on social media and the company would give out monthly prizes. Yeah. I, the idea that, People, multiple people have died because a column of bricks has collapsed and um, evidently crushed them or, mm -hmm. or landed on them in ways to cause trauma is horrifying. I mean, these, yes. are, and these are young girls. But if this company really was exhorting people to do dangerous things, I would think they'd want to settle this case rather than to go. It's not just the maker, though. There's a whole bunch of defendants in this, including some guy who, who tied the hammock up. Right. So Dick Sporting's Good, Field and Stream, and Camp Planner International, who sold the hammocks, are all named. And then there's this Mayfield Heights man who installed the hammock on June 8th, 2020, at their home using the instructions provided. And they're suing him as well. Okay. It's today in Ohio. All right, Lisa, it's deja vu time. We had this conversation two days ago, but lost it because of technical difficulties. It's too good a news story to let go. How is Giant Eagle reducing the huge waste of food that hits expiration dates before being sold while helping families cope with quickly rising food prices? 
And I'm certainly glad to talk about this story again. Uh, Giant Eagle's partnership with the Flash Food app has now been extended to all 173 Giant Eagle and Market District stores in Ohio and Pennsylvania. They hope to roll it out completely by the end of October. They started with a pilot program at 34 stores last year. That diverted 430,000 pounds of food that would have gone to waste because it was coming up on its sell-by or expiration date, and that equals 159,000 meals that would have otherwise been thrown out because of expiration issues. It also avoided 834,000 pounds of carbon dioxide emissions. So there's an environmental, uh, you know, uh, aspect to this as well. Flash Food is an app that allows customers to buy foods with looming expiration dates at a discount. Then they go and pick it up in store at a designated Flash Food zone inside the store. So this is, yeah, this is a great story. And apparently if you go to flashfood.com slash location slash home to find a participating store, you'll find some Meyer locations are also on the Flash Food app. This includes a lot of foods, a wide range of foods, meats, yogurts, dairy, shredded cheeses, and so on. Yeah, we're, we're trying to help our readers navigate the high prices. We're going to be de- dedicating some reporter resources to a bunch of different ideas for saving money. I've gotten so good feedback when I mentioned we were going to do that. Um, Laura, you're aware of where we're headed on that. This is this is that kind of idea. If you're trying to save money on food, which anybody who's been to a grocery store knows has gone skyrocketing way beyond gas prices, this is a way. This is a smart way to get good food cheaper. It's today in Ohio. What did we learn when the Cleveland Bar Association had a seminar this week to educate Northeast Ohio about the changing landscape of abortion law? Layla, they they were trying to get the word out, and we talked previously about how Facebook shut down their video stream, but what was the gist of their conversation? Yeah, so, well, even though... There are some prosecutors out there in Ohio who are just champing at the bit to prosecute cases under these new laws. The the panelists underscored a few really important reassuring facts regarding this this new law. First, the current law specifically targets abortion providers, not the patients themselves. I think that's something that has been kind of a point of confusion. Second, providing, obtaining, or assisting someone in, in obtaining an abortion in another state is not a crime. So as long as the abortion or service provided is legal in the state where it's performed. So this this includes abortion medications, which must be dispensed and administered in the abortion legal state. I think that also has been a point that has been discussed and debated. And, you know, in some places where you would I, I've heard some people talking about that, uh, you know, in circles where I would not have expected there to be any confusion uh, about whether or not you Uh, could leave the state legally to obtain an abortion in a state where it is legal. Uh, Thirdly, women who need medical care after an abortion should not be afraid to get it or to tell their doctors about their abortions. Hospitals are required by federal law to treat anyone who needs urgent care, and that includes women who have had abortions, even illegally. And then finally, hospital and emergency room staff should be aware that they are under no obligation to report to anyone or disclose information about their patients, including that a woman seeking care has had an abortion. As long as they did not provide the abortion, there is no legal obligation to report that an abortion took place and hospital personnel can refuse to provide that information. So those were just some really 
key important legal facts that came out of this uh, seminar. They covered a lot of ground. Reporter Gretchen Kudakroen did a wonderful job of boiling down for readers. I mean, the panelists also, you know, talked a lot about there were some medical uh, professionals, some doctors who spoke about the complications of the abortion debates um, from their perspective. And uh, and it was uh, sounded like it was a fascinating four hour long seminar. Um, readers should check out Gretchen's story on Cleveland.com. You wonder what would happen if the Ohio legislature did pass a law prohibiting women from leaving the state for abortions, whether that would that could stand. I mean, could does the state have the power to limit you from leaving the state for whatever purpose you desire? How could that stand? How could that stand? It would seem to violate the rules about interstate transportation and things like that. But I, I, I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, I, they've talked about it in other states. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Mike DeWine was doing gymnastics to not talk about what he thinks abortion law should be. But like you said, for now, it's legal. But you just wonder with this legislature and how crazy it's been. And they're coming back for their lame duck session, which is always crazy after the election, what we might see. So you're listening to Today in Ohio. A Spirit airline merger with Frontier Airlines would have impacted Cleveland in a pretty big way, but it's dead. Now Spirit is being bought by JetBlue. What will the impact be on Cleveland Hopkins International Airport? And Laura, I should mention, Cleveland also runs an airport, even though it can't run the West Side Market. <laughs> um, yes, although there are people that think it, they could run that airport a whole lot better. Yeah, I um, should say they kind say, of you're, run the you're, airport. <laughs> you're usually a proponent of saying there needs to be a separate regional entity to run there, this airport. There does. There does. I, okay, I do believe so, that. All right. Thank you. All right. So Hopkins officials say that any flight reductions will maybe just be short term and may lead to expanded service in the future because, of course, they're being optimistic. Both carriers have been in Cleveland since 2014. That's when United pulled its hub and we started getting the low cost carriers coming in and they focus on leisure destinations, not on business destinations. So right now, JetBlue only has one flight. I've never flown JetBlue, but I'm planning to in a couple of weeks, and it's to Boston. It's a direct flight there. Um, and then Spirit has about nine to places like Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles. But actually, they've pulled back in recent uh, months in Cleveland. Uh, they dropped flights to Cancun and New Orleans. So the Hopkins folks are saying, we hope this is going to, to lead to more, but it is going to take a couple of years for this to actually get approved and go through. It's not immediately, uh, obviously. Oh, and CAK, Akron Canton, um, Spirit announced suspending services there. So they're hoping that this is good news as well there. The idea of JetBlue <clears throat> and Spirit is so, so asynchronous, right? Because JetBlue is, prides itself on legroom and treating people really well. And Spirit is a sardine can. And it just doesn't seem like the two philosophies work. I guess you're hoping, because you love cheap airfares, that the JetBlue <laughs> philosophy bleeds into Spirit rather than the other I, way around. I do, but I'm, I'm never a fan of seeing competition go away in airlines because that's the only thing that could keep flights cheap. And I think everybody who's trying to fly this summer has had so many problems that it's just like, we don't want to see flights get even more expensive. And, and you know, if they're not competing, are they just going to, you're just at their whim. 
Well, that's why the Spirit Frontier merger would have been bad for Cleveland. We would have had less competition, and that would have resulted in more expensive flights. So this is this is a good thing, but ultimately, what it means we'll have to see. You'll have to report back on whether you have less legroom in your flight now that they're. I've only flown Spirit. Spirit once, and it was when my kids were really little. I just, you know, it's like the you can't bring bags on any of these planes. It's like if you want to actually pack more than a book, then you're going to have to pay for it. Okay. It's today in Ohio. Let's do one more. It's the 50th birthday of the Council of Smaller Enterprises, better known as COSY. Laura, what is it? How did it start? And how is it doing? So I had no idea that COSY formed after a trucker strike in 1970 that caused 200 small business owners to march to City Hall. And they decided, you know what? We need our own organization. So the Cleveland Growth Association, which was the Chamber of Commerce at that time, formed COSY in 1972. And they, the goal is to give small businesses access to government officials, create solutions to problem, basically help business com- compete and provide education and networking opportunities. That has been the goal the entire time. But actually, the Affordable Care Act in uh, about 2013 was one of the biggest or- changes for the organization because it really focused on providing insurance health insurance for employees of small businesses. And when the Obamacare went into effect, that changed how all of that worked and membership dropped from 17,000 to 9,000 in just one year. Now they're up to 12,000 members, uh, sorry, 12,000 in the GCP, 11,300 in COSY. Um, they have merged their back offices, those two organizations, so they're a little more efficient. And basically they are adding programs and educational experiences they're finding new ways to offer healthcare to the members, and they believe that they've found a way to the future. All right. Well, congratulations on hitting the 50th. It's today in Ohio. That does it for Friday. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thank you for listening. Everybody have a good weekend. Come back Monday. We'll be discussing the news. Music.